0: Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Edward Dutton. And we've talked a few times in 2021. Back in August, we talked about his book, Witches, Feminism and the Fall of the West. Really a fascinating book. Very well received a lot of talk about that book uh, amongst people who listen to my show. And then in November, we covered another of his books, At Our Wits End, Why We're Becoming Less Intelligent and What It Means for the Future. And, uh, but today we're going to talk about a book I found very interesting and enjoyed reading. The title of the book is Churchill's Headmaster, the sadist who nearly saved the British Empire. And this was originally published uh, four years ago, but it goes into detail about a certain part of kind of UK or British uh, scholastic culture. And it deals with kind of Churchill's rise and also the kind of myth that surrounds uh, Winston Churchill. But Professor Edward Dutton has a website, which is his full name, edwarddutton.com. And he also runs The Jolly Heretic. And if you want a list list of his books, you can listen to some of my earlier, uh, other two earlier interviews where I list out some of his titles. But uh, anyway, so Edward Dutton, welcome to the show. Thanks for returning. Thank you for having me on. This is now my third time. Third, correct. So no,
1: no, it says, I'm uh, becoming a regular on William Ramsey Investigates. Well, so, yes, I'm, well, I'm to books.
0: Good, yeah, I have. I've it's a different angle, definitely. Uh, The Witch's Feminism was really fascinating, but this one, too, also kind of moves against this kind of norm that Churchill is some kind of lion who was really, uh, you know, a critical crucial figure of winning World War II and. Uh, You go in more detail kind of about his background, but can you talk about how you kind of conceptualize this book and why you wrote it? Well, I guess what
1: sparked it off was reading. um, Churchill is very much lionised in Britain, or at least he was until relatively recently. And in the early 2000s, we had this thing called the the Greatest Britain, where we had to vote uh, for who was the greatest person in British history. And most countries had one, and they all voted for the founder of the modern nation. And in our case, it was Churchill. So he was considered to be the the Greatest Britain. And uh, if you go to any bookshop, you just find autobiography after biography after biography of Churchill and they all rehash the same stuff without going back to the primary sources um, just, just, just without citing where, where they've got the ideas from, and and you just get this process of exaggeration and this this sort of cult of Churchill, whereby Churchill is brilliant and fantastic and a saint, and anybody that was opposed to Churchill, anybody that was an appeaser, for example, uh, in the run up to World War Two, um, is is you know is just a vile, evil person, basically is the, the devil in the Churchill church, and so I um and then I, I read a number of um, more critical. Um, or, uh, biographies of Winston Churchill by people, Chalmers is one and there's various others I cite in the book and this got me thinking, well what, what else, if, if this is not true, actually it turns out there's many many bad things about Winston Churchill Winston Churchill was an alcoholic, Winston Churchill was a bully, Winston Churchill was a liar, Winston Churchill exaggerated things, Winston Churchill was a narcissist Winston Churchill was a warmonger Winston Churchill, blah, all these, uh, all these kinds of negative and uh, uh, took us, uh, it, it, these books argue into a completely unnecessary war So, if that's the case, well, what else um, based on corruption and because he needed money? And so, if this is the case, I've got thinking, well, what else about the Churchill myth? Well, one thing I knew about Churchill that I'd always heard is that he had this evil, sadistic. Um, headmaster when he was at prep school uh, which is a we have this problem in this interview that you have words your words in America mean different things from what our words mean so we can look in a minute what that means but prep school was a school that kind of upper class children would go to a boarding school uh, between the ages of about seven and and uh, twelve and this prep school that he was at George's Ascot uh, was was run by this uh, uh, so-called to I quote a, a particular biography of Churchill by a woman called Anna Seba it's one of those biographies that doesn't cite primary sources and just cites doesn't cite anything and just tells you a, a story the headmaster was a perverted sadist who took sexual pleasure in beating uh, boys on on their bare bottoms with birch with birches until explosions of excreta dotted his study wall and then took further pleasure in cleaning the excreta off the wall uh, that's what his he was uh, I thought well maybe that's not true. Maybe, maybe what Churchill says about it is not true maybe what other people said maybe it's exaggerated maybe actually that's not true I wonder what the truth is about this headmaster if and the only what I the only thing I'd learned about it was that um a book on corporal punishment in English culture called the English vice uh, that looked at it in that looked at him uh, which was published in the 70s uh, and then also the mo- the movie about uh, Churchill young Winston that came out in the uh, early 1970 uh, and all of it I found to be inaccurate to be exaggerated also boris johnson wrote an autobi- a biography of churchill which i also found again not really citing the sources properly and what you end up with is this exaggeration over time where your bias is that churchill is good so he becomes better and better over time and more and more saintly and your bias is that that uh, Herbert Snake Kinnersley, who was Churchill's headmaster at this prep school, is bad, and thus he becomes worse with every new biography until we get this that he's a perverted sadist who was sexually aroused by beating his, his charge until they shat themselves and then cleaning the excreta off the wall. And so um, the, the, the purpose of the book was to question, was to see if that was true, to test that. And what I found was that was that Herbert Snake Kinesley was a far more uh, reasonable character than uh, history gives him credit for, and what what he was actually trying to do was mould these upper-class people who would otherwise have been spoilt. Uh, into a kind of Spartan system of noblesse oblige, where they would be inculcated with group-selected values and thus help to run the empire. Um, and that what Churchill was was a, a, a narcissist who who took Britain into an unnecessary war and thus sped up the coming of the winter of civilization, which I looked at in my uh, last video with you. So so I, I came away. Although he wasn't, I mean he was. This state kid is he was childlike, he was probably a non active pederast. Um, he 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 probably was a sort of spanking, not as so much a sadist, but a sort of a, a sort of spanking fetishist. Uh, he probably had some sort of borderline personality disorder. Uh, uh but in the, in all of these ways, he wasn't unique. He was there's some sort evidence of that those are the kind of men that go into these kinds of jobs. Um, and so he just wasn't as, as bad as he's painted that
0: was the point right and he kind of becomes the boogeyman for churchill it's one of churchill's supposedly first triumphs is to overcome this abuse that he endured for two years from 1882 to 1884 at this private school with 40 other boys and you know supposedly is as a sign of his development of character when it might have been that his character was what caused this stuff but can you talk about snade kinnersley his background, it kind so of... Herbert, the...
1: Herbert Snake Kinsley was born in 1848 in Utoxeter, which is in the English Midlands, uh, into a gentry family. The, the gentry has kind of died out now, but it was the kind of lower nobility, the untitled nobility. People would have titles like esquire and gentleman and uh, and things like that. So he had a non-active pederast, Oswald Spengler, a person that fancied children but didn't actually bugger them. Um, Interestingly, I found that his deputy headmaster did do that uh, this was a guy called uh, Escort MacDonald, and he was driven out of the country and had to go and live in Austria. Uh, but, but anyway, we can go on to that later if you want. That was the deputy headmaster of the school, um, he, which was Snake Innesley's brother-in-law. Anyway, so Snake uh born 1848 to so this, this gentry family. His father was a barrister, uh, which I guess in America you'd call an attorney. And uh, a judge, um, and his mother was the daughter. Uh, was a, brought up a Unitarian, and was the daughter of somebody um, of somebody called Joseph Sanders, who basically helped to build the railways of England. Who was a major, serious engineer. And um, Snake went to uh, was edu- was educated. Uh, first of all, he didn't go to prep school. He was educated by the archdeacon of um, uh, of Wiltshire. Uh, who was this elderly man, uh, along with uh, his sons uh, and his daughters, and then from there he went to. Uh, he was twelve years old. His mother died, and then about that age he went to rugby, which is public school, a major public school. Uh, a, a bit of background on that: um, you had a system in England at the time where, uh, obviously, there was no state education. There was no free education, so all education had to be had to be paid for up front, and the most prestigious. The schools that were were in, let's say, the early, very early 1800s were the grammar schools. They were the, they were the places that you wanted to go to and you would learn Latin and you would learn Greek and whatever. Um, the so-called public schools, which were more expensive and um, tend tended to be attended by the upper class, were at that stage not particularly academically good. And they would have riots that the the soldiers had to become involved with. And there was poor discipline and there was violence and there was whatever. And the public schools were reformed um, round about 1840 by, I forget, by this reforming um, headmaster of rugby uh, called Thomas Arnold. Um, and, and and they were reformed into this very strict system. Uh, uh, based, They were all classicists into Greek culture and whatever, and they very much liked um, Plato, and Plato very much liked the Spartans. And the Spartans had this idea that the upper class shouldn't know their parents. The upper class should be taken away from the tribe at a relatively young age. Uh, they should be sort of brutal, so, so that they don't become decadent because they're rich and whatever. Um, they should be uh, brought up in this very strict system, this sort of harsh yet structured system to prepare them to to cope as the soldiers who lead the tribe. So It it should be a system that inculcates them with the religion of the tribe. They are the golden class, in Plato's view, um, and they should be inculcated with the religion of the tribe, and they should be militarized um, such that they have a sense that they, yes, they are wealthy and have all these privileges, but they have this strong noblesse oblige and they are responsible for the tribe. and uh, this should be done through a system, systems of beating, basically, and physical punishment and all of this sort of thing. And so this was what Thomas Arnold, of course, they always had beatings at these schools, but he made it much more rigorous, much more systematic um, um, and much more based around. And, and he brought in higher academic standards and whatever. And so rugby starts being this very, very good school. Other public schools, including Eton, start imitating rugby. Um, then the public schools become considered more prestigious than the grammar schools and become associated by their... With the upper class, and it becomes a, a, something that you do if you're upper class by uh, the uh, 1840s that you you send your kids to public schools. So he goes to rugby. Um, then after uh, rugby, well, I presume he would have been birched. They had birching, bare bottom birching. That was the standard punishment with all of these uh, all of these schools. And I go into detail about this in the book. That uh, Snake Kennedy, um, there were examples of people that were far worse, far more severe than him. Uh, in in this practice, and that the prep schools tended to be more severe than the public schools because they imitated uh, Eton, and uh, e- by then Eton was considered the best school. Um, but so, what is a public school? If there's no clear boundary between a public school and what you would call a private school uh, or day school, uh, um, it's basically a school that is accepted as being like rugby, and the most Church the more school. like rugby it is, the more it is a public school. After rugby, he goes to Cambridge, where he studies. Law. His father was also a lawyer, and he studies law. And then after that, and this was not an uncommon thing to do, um, he sets up a prep school. And these prep schools were were set up. They were. It was a purely they were proprietary schools. They were set up to make money. And basically, you you get a bunch of chaps. Uh, I, 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 no, well, first of all, sorry. He he first of all got a job at a, a teaching at a prep school in Slough, uh, which is near Eton. Um, and then Alden House, it's called. And then uh, after that, he in uh, uh, when was it now? The uh, uh, eighteen seventy seven, I think it was. Um, he and another chap got together, who'd also been at uh, uh, to rugby in Cambridge, and they set up their own prep school. These were set up to make money. And his was a particularly prestigious, high class prep school, and he was able to get all of the great and the good on the advert to you know, members of Parliament and bishops and goodness knows what to say what a great chap he was. And um, it, was the be- it was the best. It was the best. It was considered the most expensive and the most prestigious prep school in the country had all kinds of facilities. Uh, uh, He was very, apparently he was very good with children. He knew what children wanted uh, and what made life fun for them. Apparently because he was quite childlike himself. So he knew what they wanted. uh, And and he, um, uh, all these amazing prizes that you would get and trips and adventures and all this kind of stuff. uh, The food was good. So it was
0: three square meals a day. There was oh, apparently,
1: right. incredibly high standards of food. So uh, the, 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 the food at these public schools and whatever was known to be fairly awful. But there was a chap called Roger Fry, who was one of his pupils, and he was from an extremely wealthy background. His father was a um, a barrister or something like this. Very, very rich. And, and he said that the standard of food was a good was a lot better than the standard of food he was used to at home. And, and at home, he you know, he said, oh, well, there'd always be sirloin on a on a Sunday. So they'd always have beef on a Sunday and all that. So he obviously had good standard of food at home. And the food at that prep at St. George's Ascot was considerably better than what he was used to at home. And he would have been used to good food. So very, very nice food. Again, atypical, I think, for... for public schools, anyway. So yeah, and 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 he would do, do these adventures. He would take them out all over the place to to London, to to, to uh, I listed in the book to factories to see how they operate. There's constantly adventures. I, I talked to the grandson of one of his pupils, and all this the, the grandson was ever told by his grandfather. His grandfather was the secretary to the Lord Chancellor. Was he just gave the most amazing prizes? They he gave the most sumptuous prizes. Um, I got hold of the diaries of a, of a boy who who. who at the time, you know, age whatever, 9, 10, was keeping a diary while at that school. And um, I I got in touch with his grandson, who um, used to be married to Jim Callaghan, our former prime minister's daughter, and who was the British ambassador to America in the 70s. Um, guy called Peter J and uh, Peter J's grandfather uh, Aubrey J you know was all very very positive about State Kinsley and very very positive about the school and he writes about school trips they go on and uh, these unpublished sources and, uh, and then I got like letters home that, that he wrote and, and all this kind of stuff so yeah so and uh, so then he sets up this school. Um, and the school is very prestigious. And he's very good at getting kids into the best public schools from that school. So into Winchester and Eton and these kinds of places, takes them on trips the everything. But there is evidence and we can look at it later. The other, he has some sort of personality disorder. He loses his temper very easily and then is better again. He's childlike. Um, his will is which he made when he was in his early thirties. It's very, very strange. Uh, he doesn't leave much money to people. He just, he, he's a, very much an aesthete, and he has all of these things, paintings and pictures and jewelry, and he, and he leaves them to individual pupils of his. It's almost as if certain pupils are his friends. Um, so he's kind of, I, I, that's why I say that I think he, he was a person who had a kind of arrested development. And there's some psychiatry books that I cite in, in the book, which that this is not uncommon. Right. People may say this is warped, but what kind of man, what kind of red-blooded man wants to work with other people's kids?
0: Right, uh, young kids. So they're they're starting very young, eight, eight to years like, old,
1: twelve. Yeah. And apparently, he was more interested in and more fond of the older ones, and this would be completely consistent with what I we know of these paedophiles, basically, that they, that they, that they are tra- they get a they have a fetish, uh, which is that they're attracted to children. And, and this seems to happen because they are they get kind of psychologically trapped at a certain age. And they're mainly homosexual. Well, they're 40 percent of them are homosexual. And I suspect he was a non-active pederast. And um, one of his pupils, actually, a guy called Kessler comments that uh, uh, in his uh, memoirs, that, that uh, Snake Kinnersley uh, uh, was inspiring, rather like Plato, and rather like Plato was, you know, probably a nonce.
0: Right, then that was <laughs> it. So they're starting off very early with Latin and Greek, too, right? There's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. So they were sent,
1: sent away from school. At the, I think Churchill was just under the age of eight. And uh, But normally eight. And they would stay there until about 12, uh, 13. Then they would go to the the public school, i.e. the very prestigious private school. Or they would stay there a bit longer and then they would go to either naval to Naval College. Uh, um, and um, and then, yeah. And so anyway, was say he did that. He was headmaster of this school from... Uh, eighteen seventy seven to eighteen eighty six. Uh, he went through a number of uh, members of staff, all of which I you know tracked down information on and whatever while he was there. The, themselves were often they were clergymen as well, snake so Kinsley was eventually ordained. and uh, most almost all of the staff were ordained. The only exception was Churchill's tutor, uh, who was a, a, a guy called, well, I think he was one of the exceptions who was called um Cook, Herbert Martin Cook. and he actually didn't have he hadn't he was one of the only the only ones that hadn't been to university. I don't know how Snake Innesley got in touch with him. Snake Innesley was very religious. He was a high Anglo-Catholic and a Tory, and he used to do things like take the children out campaigning. There was a by-election in um, Windsor, which is just next to Ascot, and he and he and he he took the children in, into into in, uh, to, to, to campaign in the election. And then the children in the school that declared themselves liberal, uh, therefore because he was Tory, he conservative, conservative. Uh, they had to just stay back at the school and work. Um, right. and, and he's portrayed as as being just this evil, humourless, sadistic uh, uh, snob that is turned on by birching boys' bare bottoms. But it's it's a, it, it is a, uh, maybe elements of this. But the, but but there was a. I found there was a lot more to it. Even Roger Fry, who was one of his greatest critics, one of his pupils, was forced to say that he thought he was kind-hearted on the whole. Um, yeah, right. uh, um, so we can go through what, what his pupils said. If you like, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, but I think, think it's
0: sure. it's in direct contradiction to the mythos of Churchill, right? That the well, yeah, so, he Yeah, I mean,
1: but anyway, carrying on with his life, he married, um, never had any children, and died of a heart attack, aged uh, thirty eight, yeah, very, and right. uh, of uh, synoptic heart, so low blood pressure. Uh, which uh, brings on uh, heart disease and, uh, and early death. And then the school was taken over by this uh, his deputy headmaster, which was somebody called um, uh, Escort MacDonald, who was also his brother-in-law. Uh, and then Escort MacDonald uh, sold the school uh, and went and sought a, a school near Winchester, uh, uh, which is in the southwest and uh, that was that was his uh, his short life. But what yeah, what we have from Churchill. So Churchill said um, that, that it was an awful place uh, and that the beatings that were administered there were worse than anything that took place at Eton Rugby or Reform School. Reform School under the Home Office being these schools where you take uh, badly behaved pupils and whatever, you know, like prison. And I looked into that and I found out that that's not true. That's that's just not accurate. They weren't worse. They were far more lenient than the beatings that took place at Eton Rugby and certainly at reform school. E-
0: Eton, they, I think you said they would take people in the center square so that their screams would reverberate. Uh, well, that know, was all. slightly earlier
1: than, oh, okay. than Churchill's generation. That would have been more Snake Kinnersley's generation. But yes, that's right. They were the, earlier on in the history of the school. They. But would, I mean, they,
0: that was still kind of a rough age. I mean... Uh, Spanking your kids and things like that. Oh yeah, one that's
1: one thing that's got to be born in mind. This is an extremely violent society. So it's like in America when they present these these scenes in films of slaves being whipped as if it's some incredible thing. Everybody was whipped. Servants were whipped. In England, it was legal for a master to beat his servant until the 1860s. It was legal for a wife to, for a husband to beat his wife until the 1870s. Right. Isn't that where the rule
0: of thumb comes from?
1: Yes, exactly. Um, well, it probably doesn't, but that's where it supposedly comes supposedly from. Right. Um, it was it was le- it was legal f- um, uh, b- birching was a judicial punishment in England until 1948, and it was a, a punishment in prisons until 1968. So this is a context of an extremely violent society. And I give examples, many examples of this, of beatings that took place that far out did anything that Snake Kinnisley was accused of. Um, the Roger Fry was the head boy of the school for most of his time there because he did the best in terms of his grades. And if you were beaten, then him and the deputy head boy would take you to the headmaster and hold you down while you were beaten. And he said that it would be about 15 strokes. And that may itself be an exaggeration because people do tend to exaggerate numbers in these kinds of contexts. Um, but uh, certainly we know we have records that at the reform schools, that would be of sort of 20 strokes, something like that. So it's completely untrue what Churchill said. And he'd have known that because he was home secretary. He was the person that was in charge of the reform schools. So when he was writing in 1930 when he wrote his memoirs, My Early Life. Um, which documents his life up to about the age of uh, 25 or 30. Um, and and he, he would have known that. So he was just exaggerating for effect. If you look at Roger Fry, that's another uh, source that is often drawn upon without citation. So Roger Fry states that he was uneducated, say Kinnersley. He was uneducated. That's not true. Nakednessly had a doctorate.
0: Yeah, he had a postgraduate and LLM degree, he had a right? Yeah. Doctorate. Yeah. Which
1: I mean, this is a time when what about two percent, or about sorry, about 05 percent of the part of the country even has a degree, and, and and he had a doctorate. So that's absolute rubbish. Um, secondly, uh, he said he was a sadist. So he liked hurting people like their pain. Um, I, I found evidence that he would b- bend over backwards to not to not beat people. Like there were many uh, testimonies to people doing the most appalling things and they would expect to be beaten for it. And they wouldn't be beaten for it. Um, and that people found it was this Robert, it was this Escort MacDonald who was the deputy headmaster. He was the nasty one. He used to electrocute them and things. That's 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 sadism. This this guy um uh, would would you know it would it was he was sparing um, it, um in in these kinds of things. However, he was unpredictable. So sometimes kids were he was because he was irrational. Sometimes kids would be beaten for minor things like apparently like you know like making a rude joke or or whatever. But then on on another occasion when Churchill got up and sung this highly offensive dirty song that he'd learnt from the stables at Blenheim Palace. Um, then he just threatened to beat him if he didn't stop, but he didn't actually beat him. So, so it's the, the idea that he would beat people at the slightest thing, which would be consistent with him being, this is not true. Um, thirdly, we know that he would put huge amounts of efforts into, into, and money, and his own money, it seems, and he, and he was quite independently wealthy, um, into ensuring these kids had a fantastic time, the trips they would go on. Um, and he he obviously took delight um, in ensuring that they had these 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 amazing trips to London to to uh, to theatres in London to all kinds of things. Um, it's, uh, the, the, it was uh, constant uh, adventures to places and incredibly sumptuous uh, expensive prizes. Um, uh, and, and and so that doesn't seem to be true. Uh, so the the idea that he was a sadist, I'm not sure about that. That he that he beat a boy till he excreted. We only have one source on that and that is roger fry and roger fry said that um, he there was this particular boy who was i later worked out who it was by the way it doesn't say who it was but i went through the census records and from roger Fry's description and the year it was and he said he was irish and he had ginger hair there's only one boy it could be and it's the great grandfather of sarah ferguson who was married to prince andrew that's definitely who it was. That's who the boy
0: was. Right, but um, that whole story got morphed and became that story much got more
1: exaggerated more. over yeah. time. Yeah. And I, I found that there were other cases of it because they were always beaten on the bearer. Ask because if you look at the evolution of this punishment, uh, which I also look at in the book, like where has it come from in evolutionary terms? It is it is that uh, the person uh, uh, adopts basically the sex It comes from monkeys. So when when you have when when monkeys get in a fight and one of them wants to avoid the other one killing them, he will adopt these. Sexual submission position, the position of humiliation, um, and this will uh, uh, alleviate the tension and end the fight. And this, and you get this in all cultures. This system of spanking in all known, advanced, advanced cultures, at East Asia and Asia, whatever. Not so much among tribal cultures, but you do. And so it seems that that's where it comes from. It's a, it's a, it's a submission signaling in a kind of, I guess you could say, pseudo sexual way. But anyway, that's where it, it comes from. Um, uh, uh, and um, there were other cases of beatings that were far more severe than anything he meted out, including children beaten until they urinated or shat themselves or whatever.
0: Uh, right. but so Ch- Sorry to interrupt, but Churchill's account is very self-serving because he kind of takes himself out as being anybody uh, who would merit being. Uh, oh, well, um, yeah, yeah.
1: So then if you look at, so um, apparently, according to Claude Schuster, who was there just after Churchill left, the rumors about his behavior were unbelievable. He did the most unbelievable appalling things like one time he you know he'd steal from the pantry um yeah you know, he you know, he could, absolutely would never behave most appalling behavior he once stole the headmaster's hat and destroyed it for which he wasn't beaten because the headmaster was just so upset and devastated headmaster's favorite hat he was just absolute shit basically it was a horrible horrible badly behaved nasty boy and nobody liked him um, and and there were testimonies. From, and there was not somebody else that was there. Oh no, sorry, it just was there while Churchill was there. Just after Churchill uh, uh, left, then this guy called Maurice Baring turns up, and Maurice Baring had heard the most unbelievable rumours about him. Okay, they may have been exaggerated, but the, but the, his behaviour was just beyond anything that was that was ever known. So so oh, yeah Churchill was inc- incredibly uh, badly behaved, and uh, the idea was, as I say, you wouldn't be beaten for the slightest thing. You, they would do this reading of the school reports, and if you had been, uh, there were many examples I find in the book of things that uh, even at a non uh, any any other school you might have been beaten for, like ballsing up your Latin or something like or talking in class or any, all of these things, and no, they weren't beaten, they weren't. They were only beaten for, for very, very um, for what was considered by the standards of the time very serious misbehavior, which swearing and whatever and bawdy behavior was, um, uh, and, and you know, for just generally being incredibly badly behaved. And so it's, right. it's and then people was... that I this I go through the um Roger, I mean the the, the the testimonies, Roger Roger Fry was never beaten. Um, this uh, Maurice Baring was never beaten, Aubrey Jay was never beaten. So you, you, you had to do something uh, in order to... There was a guy called Edmund Backhouse who was, and uh, Edmund Backhouse, uh, was a sinologist, was later revealed by uh, Hugh Trevor Roper to be just a pathological liar. Um, and, and he gives an interesting testimony, which could be is like provably wrong, provably nonsense. Um,
0: about, about but the, the allegation is, Edward, that there was like daily floggings, no. like it was a torture chamber. No, that's the right. way it's, 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 it's done in It's, knew, just, you're you're it's totally it. inaccurate.
1: So uh, Kessler, uh, this Kessler guy, uh, he admitted that there was beating, bare bottom beating, but that was the case with all of these prep schools, and that but you had to be really, really, really bad, and if you were, then you would be beaten until blood was drawn, essentially. Uh, but you had to be really, 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 really bad. It never happened to him. That um, uh, you would have to be incredibly do, do something incredibly bad in under the system of the time. Uh, for example, there was the school had electricity. It was the first school in the country to have electricity, and uh, you weren't allowed to switch the lights on and off. And the boy did that, and so he was flogged. But the rule was clear that if you did that, you would be flogged. Um, so he knew that was the rule. but And he did. Uh, Aubrey Jay, uh, say, uh, like Kessler, said he was this inspiring teacher. He was this brilliant teacher. And that when Churchill's memoir was was published, saying how awful, implying how awful Snake Kinnersley was, he wrote to his. Well, he said it was his wife, but it couldn't have been his wife because his wife was dead by then. It must have been his um his uh, sister-in-law. He wrote to saying that uh, that's not true. You know, we 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 all thought he was great. Uh, there was a guy called Bonham Carter who is an ancestor of the uh, actress oh, Helen right. Bonham Carter. Um, who, who we have from him testimony of how incredibly helpful Snake In as he was and how he bent over backwards to help him get into a good public school and all of this sort of thing. We have Morris Baring who said he was an inspiring teacher. He was a brilliant teacher. He really made him fascinated by stuff. But he was childish. He was childlike. He would. Uh, there were many examples he gives, like once Maurice Baring was taken out of school to go into a party um, run by the Princess Royal, and Snake Kinnsley was ev- evidently jealous of this. And then another time he was brought home or whatever, and because it was very bad weather and late at night, uh, uh, and uh, he his mother rung through, to, or telegraphed through to Snake Kinsley and said he should stay home and not come back that night. And then Snake Kinnersley said if he doesn't come back, then Ted not come back at all. He was jealous of the, that they'd gone to meet the princess royal, that kind of childlike dimension to him, was, right? Was but different.
0: it's it's very easy for these people to malign or uh twist his character because he died, so you can impu- impute all the stuff you did, yeah. You, know, you can say what you like. And, right. Another
1: thing, another thing I have with Churchill is um, a, a source that was uh, Churchill's cousin, so this is Shane Leslie. Obviously, with these aristocrats, a lot of pe- a lot of them have quite. Prominent, a lot, quite eminent. They're members of Parliament or peers of the realm or
0: whatever.
1: They've all written memoirs, and and you can get hold of these memoirs. So here's, for example, here see Shane Leslie. You know, I did, I, found this uh, obscure old book, and and uh, and he he says that um, uh, somebody had said to him that uh, Snake Kinsley was particularly attracted to ginger haired boys. And that Churchill was ginger, and therefore he may have beaten him more because he liked seeing his ass or something under because he was because he was ginger. Um, the only source for this is uh, a, apparently somebody called Arbutnut. so it's not a particularly good uh, source. We don't know who the, the person is; it's an unknown source for the ginger thing. And the, then the other thing that uh, Leslie says, and it must have been Churchill that told him this, and and he admits that Churchill used to tell him tall tales, is that after he left left. Um, when when he was at uh, military academy in Sandhurst, which is quite near to this school, um, he he went there and confronted the headmaster. He was going to go there and beat him up, and then and then discovered that he died, and uh, that seems to be absolute. Um, that's that's uh, nonsense because uh, he, he or discovered it was under new management, and I, I worked out that that couldn't possibly be that
0: couldn't possibly have that ne- that Good. never happened. Yeah, you um, mentioned that Churchill knew somebody who had to have known that Snape Kinnersley. leave.
1: Yeah, he 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 knew he must have known he was dead because he was um, uh, he was with somebody who uh, uh, he, when he was in India who had had been with um, had been at that school when he died when the headmaster died. So yeah, he must have known that he must have known he was dead. It seems unlikely he didn't know he was dead. But so anyway, he said he said he went there and found that the that, that the school that the, the guy the guy had died and the school was under new management. And uh, I I found that the years weren't consistent with that. The school it, it's it's all it's all mixed up. I can't remember exactly what I wrote, because unfortunately, I wrote uh, but unfortunately, so
0: but no, but th- this is very important because it it kind of dissipates the mythos of Churchill and his, the, the self serving stories that he told about himself in his past. And really created kind of this uh, this kind of historiography that morphed away, you know, and told these lies. Like you mentioned in your book, all these other authors who continued this kind of story about you know Churchill being abused, that that Snake Kindersley, this one woman she right, wrote, I quoted, he loved cleaning up the excreta left on the walls. Like that's such a, such a stretch. I mean Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's absolutely it's absolutely it's absolute. it's it's not it's literally. I mean, there is a sort, the source that says anything remotely close to that is this Roger Fry, and that's not what he says. And another thing that has another thing Roger Fry says is that um, he must have been, in his view, perhaps turned on by beating kids, because if if not, then he would have stopped beating it immediately and left it to a more suitable time. But then one thing that is admitted by Roger Fry himself, which was censored from his. Uh, Posthumously published memoirs that were pub- that were censored by Virginia Woolf is that he came back once from um, being a, the head boy of a, a particular beating with a, with an erection. So it, it was Roger Fry himself that was sexually aroused by by boys being beaten, uh, and 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 he was perhaps uh, projecting this onto. Um, Snake Kinsley, uh also I mean well, I don't know I think Snake is, he may have been aroused by it some in, in some way but 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 uh but it was yeah Ro- Roger Fry was certainly um aroused by it himself and he he admits this I'm just trying to find where it was about the about about Churchill going back to the school. I can't what the, what the detail
0: was but anyway yeah it, it, no, it, I rem- it
1: was...
0: yeah, I remember that part in your book, but also it's kind of you put Churchill on kind of the psychopathic spectrum like all of his personality traits uh kind of were established young and oh yeah if you had look a at main the main impact upon if you Virgin. look at the details
1: the, the detail about uh, the nature of churchill he is um he is a what he he is a highly impulsive uh, narcissistic kind of boy he takes incredible risks even when he's young to the extent of knocking himself out while while jumping over uh jumping over a, a wall um he um uh, uh, then he, he goes into the army and he does everything he can to get himself sent somewhere where he can he can do killing. OK, perhaps that's not that bad. But you know, he goes absolutely out of his way beyond anything to get himself. It is incredibly dangerous situations. So even World beyond, war, beyond right. the average soldier, he, he likes danger. He enjoys danger. He enjoys risk. Um, uh, uh, and then it stops being a soldier. And he's a journalist. And again, he deliberately puts himself into these positions of danger and risk. And in his memoirs, he talks about his time in South Africa where he tells clear lies and his exaggerations and things like that it's all sort of a, a merry tale then we go into uh, World War 1 he's an absolute hawk in World War 1 takes incredible risks other people's lives particularly Gallipoli involving lots of people being completely unnecessary Total killed, disaster. Killed, yeah, complete disaster um then then as we we go up to World War 2 eventually he's out of government and so he's not uh, he's he maybe he's he's incredibly extravagant he's uh, has this massive house Chartwell to keep up with his huge staff he the the pay for MPs was very poor because it was considered public service so he um, has to get money from somewhere and so um, while well, he was an alcoholic as well uh, to the extent that when he was in America in about 1930 he had to be given alcohol otherwise he'd have seat that doctor was concerned that he'd have seizures if they didn't get hold of America alcohol from him, which was dry America was course, dry at the time um uh and, and so uh, everybody at the time if you look at the, at the time the 30s the, uh, thought he was narcissistic thought he was unreliable thought he was uh you know a bit of a, a bit of a fool basically and one should keep away from him but but uh, on, in the run-up to the war he was taking money from a group called focus uh, which is a, a, a group of uh, trade unionists Jews and leftists that wanted a war with Germany for various reasons and so he would they would give him money to fund his lavish lifestyle um, and and, and then, I mean, there's books on his finance it's called No More Champagne, Churchill and His Money, staggering risk taking, uh, psychopathic personality, but he would rate himself out of trouble. Right. Uh, and, and 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 so he just kept pushing for war. Until so eventually he got his war. Uh, once we were into the war, then nobody really wanted the war. And so various attempts were made by the Germans to stop the war. Um, to to uh, but he just would not have it. He, he and he used the excuse of a, a bomb having accidentally fallen on a, on Rotherhide, uh in East London just to have total war. Um, and uh, Hitler tried to negotiate... Through Hess,
0: right? I mean, Hess was an attempt to stop the war. That was
1: an attempt to stop it. Of course, the Germans had to cover it up because they'd look stupid, but the the, the descendant of the Duke in question is clear that Hess flying over to see the Duke of Hamilton was an attempt to stop the war. Um, Hitler did not want to go to war with Britain. He made this absolutely clear in Mein Kampf. Um, and later uh, in life,
0: he said it was like a, he was always felt sorry for bombing uh, England. I can't remember the direct quote, but yeah. And I mean, you can see the sympathy at uh, Dunkirk as well.
1: At Dunkirk, yeah, at Dunkirk, he sort of lets them escape so they can so there can be a kind of honorable escape for them, which rather. is really <laughs>
0: unusual for Hitler because his. He attacked. wanted.
1: He saw the English as fellow Aryan people who he wanted to do business with and who he respected from World War One. So he didn't want to go to war with them. Uh, and then during the war itself, it seems that Churchill was just pissed most of the time, uh, and, and people people were commenting I think you,
0: on you wrote in your book that he always had some alcohol in his system. First drink was at nine thirty a.m. So he yeah, was. That's just right. A, yeah, he
1: was, const- he was constantly drinking, uh, and and there there are. Um, there, uh, and he also, I mean, he wanted to bring back in like shooting uh, for, for for soldiers that misbehaved during World War Two. Uh, uh, he he was the he was a warmonger. He was a, really just a quite appalling uh, uh, individual. Uh, and, really,
0: It it's also a very important history historiographical elements in your book because you show how Chamberlain actually got, uh, who was trying to kind of forestall the war, got kind of turned into kind of a hapless buffoon. When in fact he really wasn't, he was trying to b- buy time and gain time for England uh, to prepare for something that was coming. So there's uh, a lot of interesting elements, and you can see in this book how this lionization of, of Churchill uh, should seen be seen within context, or see with the, uh, you know, with le- not rose colored glasses. I guess is a way to say it.
1: Uh, no, exactly, and and there was. Um... Yeah, he, he, it was. It was, and we didn't need this idea that oh, well, we had to go into the war if we didn't. Well, what, 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 on earth would have happened? Well, Sweden didn't go into the war. Ireland didn't go into the war. Why did Britain need to go into the war? What did we get out of it? Nothing. Um, the idea that we were there oh to save Poland. Well, so what? Poland was a nasty nationalistic dictatorship, as much so as Germany. So why should we care about that? Um, if you and then another idea. Oh, we we're to fight evil, to fight Nazis. And that had nothing to do with it when we went into the war. Um, there was nothing to do with that. Um, it was to do with um, protecting our interests, which we could have done without going into the war. The Versailles severely punished Germany, uh, humiliated Germany. And so, of course, there was going to be some kind of rea- Versailles, which Churchill was part of. Um, and so, of course, there was going to be some sort of reaction like this eventually. Um, and you could argue, OK, there would have been far fewer Jews. In the world now, if we hadn't gone to World War II. But then you could argue that that's not quite true either, because if we hadn't gone into World War II, we could have been in a negotiating position with Hitler and we could have helped to rescue Jewish people. Um, and we would have had spies and whatever, that was, so we would have known what was going on. So I, I don't see any argument. All we did was bankrupt the country, bankrupt the people, um, speed up the introduction of socialism and multiculturalism, and basically speed up the, the sort of the winter of civilization. So I think that it was uh, it's Churchill that's that's quite appalling. And as I said, the the exaggerations uh, uh, I, I, I can't go into everything, but the exaggerations that we have uh, are, are based around rumor. Oh, that was it. The sor- the source of the rumor about um, this uh, St. kennedy liking ginger-haired boys was somebody called Andrew Arbuthnot, uh, and uh, and I worked out that Arbuthnot would not have been at the school at the right time. So it's, it's unlikely that he, how, how would he know these How would he be able, how could he be the source of these things? Um, it must've been secondhand. Leslie could not possibly have met Arbutnut. I, 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 um, I, well, they, I said, sorry, they, they could have met, but there's no way that he wasn't there at the right time to know about this sort of thing. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing how much detail you can, when you look into it, how, in the historical records, how much detail you can find. But I just wish I could find this thing about beating up the headmaster, but um
0: you have you have tons of detail in this book tons of historical detail the background of state kidnersley his whole family his whole family tree all this this evidence and you this is, your book is on kindle um unlimited too so people can check that out highly recommend people check that out I mean is there anything you'd like to add I mean we're at about 42 minutes anything anything I missed before we wrap it up well the
1: only one I was going to make as well was that that, that, that was interesting looking into it was I mean how abusive this system was until really quite recently so for example there was a guy called um who was headmaster of Eton called Anthony Chenevix Trench he lived 1919 1979 uh, and he would um He would. uh, There was a boy, a guy who's now a journalist called Nick Fraser, who talks about him, uh, uh, aged eighteen, beating him on his bare bottom and then patting his bottom and crying and saying that he's a pederast. The headmaster of Eton. Wow, so yeah. um, I'm afraid it does attract a, a, a lot of sort of perverted people. and I get the impression that Snake Kinsley was rather less perverted than quite a lot of the people that got involved. Right,
0: right. I mean, it's the whole culture, the whole systemic culture. Who's going to want to do that? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, really great discussion. Where's the best place to get Church Trolls Headmaster? Is it uh, Amazon? Well, you
1: can You can buy it from Amazon or you can buy it from if you don't want to support Amazon, you can buy it from any bookshop. Pretty much in the world, or you can buy it, if you're in Australia, particularly, you can buy it from the publishers Manticore Publishing, which is based in Melbourne. But uh, you can, if you don't want to, support, a lot of people don't want to support Amazon. If that's the case, you can buy it for any any, anywhere in the world.
0: Any book, okay? And then let's let's publish. You have a book coming up in 2022. Here's the website for it. Do you want to talk a little bit about this?
1: Well, if, uh, so we talked, um, when I was last on your show about at our wits end, which is how we're becoming uh, less intelligent. Uh, and um, this book is, I guess, the the sort of uh, the, the, the successor to that book. It's the it's the, it's the sort of sequel. Um, basically, it, it takes big data. It takes the the, the data we have uh, from America on on who's breeding and, um, and whatever. And it looks at how this process whereby since the 1960s, you have had the rise of a new religion of equality and feelings. Uh, and it looks uh, at and, and how since the 1800s, you've had weakened selection pressure. And the result of that is all of these mutation uh, leading to this, a society becoming more and more individualistic. You then have runaway individualism, which uh, pushes every, everybody in an individualistic direction. Basically, in the end, tells you you shouldn't have children and whatever and makes everyone despondent and depressed and unhappy. Um, and those that resist this and still have children are those that are stupid and those that are just genetically resistant because they're religious or conservative. And so what's bubbling beneath the surface of. This move ever leftwards is a growing population of people that are either because they are low IQ or just because they are just congenitally so um, right wing and religious and and therefore uh, and they are having children. And so what's going to basically happen is this world will pass away. It will collapse. There'll be a huge collapse, a huge collapse back into uh, terrible conditions. And we predict that the more intelligent people uh, and the more conservative, if you control for breeding uh, uh, in in terms of intelligence, you get conservatism. So the intelligent conservatives, it seems to us, are likely to escape this chaos and and keep civilization alive in kind of neo-Byzantiums. The the left of today don't breed, so they'll just die out. uh, And then these neo-Byzantiums will be surrounded by basically third world. Whether white or black, third world chaos, um, uh, and that will be the collapse of that will be the new the new collapse of civilization. But we think it might be a much worse collapse than was the Roman collapse.
0: Wow, wow! I mean, yeah, has will be something else. Total Mad Max craziness. Well, Again, we, can, no, we
1: can I can perhaps come and talk about that on here when it comes out. Would love be, to. Yeah, I'd love to have back. That will be summer next year.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Again, the title of this book is Churchill's Headmaster: The Sadist Who Nearly Saved the British Empire. Edward Dutton's website is his full name, EdwardDutton.com. Also, the Jolly Jolly Heretic is his uh, broadcast, and uh, you can best place to contact you is through your website. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, my email address is on my website. So, if you want to contact me, they can they can do it through there. I'm also on Twitter at Jolly Heretic.
0: At Jolly Heretic. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Edward oh, Dutton. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. I right, stay there. Stay there. All right.